Hello and welcome back to the BSG Uncut podcast. My name is Martin Hirsch, I'm a consultant gynaecologist at Oxford University Hospitals. In this episode, we're joined by Joel Naftalin, a consultant gynaecologist at University College London Hospitals, where his main interests are gynae ultrasound, benign gynae surgery, and emergency gynaecology. He trained in northeast London, during which time he completed an MD in gynae ultrasound with Professor Davil Yerkovic. His research focused on the use of ultrasound in the diagnosis of adenomyosis and endometrial cancer. After training, he took on a post-CCT fellowship in minimal access surgery at the Homerton University Hospital, where he helped establish their endometriosis centre, and he continues to perform ultrasound scans for multiple endometriosis centres in central London. At UCLH, he supervises and trains fellows to perform high-quality ultrasound integral to the endometriosis centre there. So I need to admit that I have some conflict of interest with Joel here. Uh, we're both members of um, a UCLH Fancy Premier League uh, team, uh, and I'm at a close contender for Joel, who is unfortunately um, above me in the league standings, uh, and I'm chasing him down. Um, and I will guarantee you, I'll finish above him at the end of end of this season. So it's a small conflict of interest, but nevertheless, welcome, Joel. Uh, thanks, Martin. Thanks for inviting me to part, to be part of this. Um, but I've been a member of the BSG for close to a decade now, but I've always sort of felt like a bit of an outsider because I because I don't operate on deep infiltrating endometriosis and like although I'm involved in a lot of endometriosis centres so it's a particular honour to be invited to be on this podcast um, regarding FPL there are three things that are certain in life death taxes and me finishing above you I'm afraid so unless Harry Kane delivers for you heavily on Tuesday I'll still be above you come the end of the week I'm sure Let's wait and see. And there's another thing that's for certain. Uh, I'll be doing more podcasts, so I'll be able to gloat when I do finish above you. And if I don't, well, there'll be radio silence. Um, moving on uh, to discuss a little bit more about you. You said you've been a member of BSG for, for 10 years years now, but um, can you tell me in the audience a bit more about yourself, things you do at, at work, academic interests, things like that? Um, okay, well, I'm, I'm a consultant gynaecologist working at University College Hospital in London. And like you, um, I trained in the Northeast Thames Deanery. Um, I recognised early on that ST1 to 7 training was inadequate, particularly if you wanted to pursue gynaecology. Um, and I knew that I wanted to take as much time out of programme as possible. So I managed to complete a research MD with Professor Davor Yerkovic, uh, which was investigating the use of ultrasound in the diagnosis of adenomyosis and endometrial cancer. Part of the appeal of that particular job was not just the research aspect, but also you get to learn learn a skill, and that skill was, uh, you know, gynaecological ultrasound. Um, and by working with Davo, you're quite literally working with the best. Um, so it was a fantastic opportunity. I still I still wanted to take out take time out of training um, or after training beyond that. So I also spent eighteen months doing a post CCT fellowship in minimal access surgery with Chris Barnick at the Homerton. And at the time, the Homerton was applying to be an end endometriosis centre. So the job involved both scanning for the endometriosis patients there, also a fair amount of operating and helping get the ultimately successful application to be a BSG endometriosis centre sorted. Um, now I work alongside Davor in, in what you and I, Martin, will know as Clinic 3, which for your listeners who won't know is, is at UCH we've got a clinic that basically involves the early pregnancy unit, the general gynaecology clinic, the two weight clinic for uterine and ovarian cancers. It's a gynae scanning unit for urogynecology, for endometriosis, for the oncologist, and an outpatient hysteroscopy suite um, all rolled into one. From a research perspective, I'm still 
doing research into early pregnancy, adenomyosis, endometriosis, and, and the PI for Esprit 2, which I'm sure most of you will know about, for example, for UCH. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. And, and I would just like to add to that about how your Clinic 3 and the Diagnostic Centre at UCH is nothing like anywhere I've ever worked before. Um, and it is the most fantastic centre in that it enables all the, say, um, surgical other surgical teams allied to your service to be able to function alongside the guidelines because the accuracy of your service is is fantastic um and you know you've worked in a few endo centers you, you mentioned homerton um i think you've been at barnet as well um uh, and you're now at uclh um working alongside endo surgeons at alfred cutner atan saradogan and, and arvid vashisht um can you describe just how your service complements their um, surgical service, their surgical endometriosis service that they offer there at UCLH? Yeah, sure. So in, in our relationship with the Endo Centre, we perform, I'd say, a few roles, really. We provide a, a triage for patients referred with pelvic pain. So if a patient's referred from their GP with suspected endometriosis, they don't go to the endometriosis centre. They come through our clinic because um, our endometriosis centre won't see patients unless they have a confirmed diagnosis of deep infiltrating endometriosis. So those those patients will receive a high quality scan at the moment of their at, at the first point of attendance. Um, those with no deep infiltrating endometriosis or who just have superficial endometriosis, we will manage them. Um, clinic three, so not, not the endometriosis centre, will manage and operate on them if appropriate, or discharge or refer on to a chronic pain team as appropriate. And what this allows our endometriosis team, they don't have to fill their list with diagnostic laparoscopies, which may well end up having no endometriosis. That means they can fill their list with known endometriosis patients with deep infiltrating endometriosis. They can have bowel lists, uro, uro, urogyne, not urogyne lists, lists where they're doing joint with the urologist. So it's a much better use of their skill set and allows them to much more easily maintain the skills they need. Um, it's a complete game changer from from my perspective of having worked where you work because in in many centres that I've worked in, you know, you get someone referred in with endometriosis. If their scan's negative, you still as the endometriosis surgeon wanting to do their laparoscopy in case they've got severe disease or in case they've got more disease than than you than you are led to believe based on their scan. But with this amazing scan um, abilities that you have at UCLH, that you know you can completely separate your patients out into those that don't have disease and those that do have disease to allocate them to the most appropriate surgeon. Yeah, and, and, and certainly what I got used to during training um, on for patients I hadn't scanned myself was before any diagnostic laparoscopy, I would say to patients as a kind of just work your way through these three possibilities, we are going to find one of three things. We are going to either find nothing in which case it's worth thinking about the implications of us finding nothing in advance. We're going to find some endometriosis that we can treat, or we're going to go in, have a look around, and there's so much endometriosis that we're going to come out and do nothing because there's going to be deep infiltrating endometriosis involving the bowel, the bladder, and actually we're much better off coming out and then sending you to the specialist endometriosis surgeons. Um, and that eventuality very rarely happens um, at usage. Look, no, no imaging modality is perfect. So there's still always surprises, but it's very rare now that we we go in and operate on a patient who we thought just had mild or superficial, and actually they've got deep infiltrating, and it just doesn't happen really. Um, so it's a, it's a great service. Um, it is, and it really complements that kind of preoperative counselling because you know I'm, I've not been a patient, I never will be a patient, but um, 
you know, if you're sat in front of a doctor thinking, oh, I might have nothing, I might have a little bit of endometriosis, or I might have the worst endometriosis they've ever seen, it, it's a big kind of range or scope um, that we're, we're unable to um, provide people um, on a wide scale basis across the country. It's really, it's a shift from surgery to be what it should be, which is therapeutic rather than diagnostic. Um, so we do very few, it's the same with hysteroscopies as well. We do very few diagnostic hysteroscopies. We do very few diagnostic laparoscopies because most of the time we've, we've picked up the pathology or we're confident enough in our scans to say, actually, we're sure there isn't anything you don't need surgery. Um, and that makes a big difference. Um, and then for those patients where you do find a big uh, bowel nodule, you can accurately counsel them in clinic, um, work them up for either a one stage or a two stage with your bowel surgeons, bowel prep, analogs, whatever you like. But you you are able to provide meaningful counselling earlier in a clinic setting than you would have elsewhere. And I'm, and I'm sure, as we'll discuss later on, because it's so relevant to endometriosis in this country at the moment, there are so many barriers for women to receive the diagnosis that they want. If you're then having um, inadequate ultrasound as a further barrier, that's a problem. But on top of that, if women feel they need to have surgery just to get a diagnosis, I think we sometimes underestimate because we do surgery all the time. But actually, surgery is a big thing. Patients have to um, think about in advance. They have to plan it in their lives. There's a general anaesthetic. They have to be cared for afterwards. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a significant impact on their lives. And for some, we'll say, look, I really do want to know whether I have endometriosis or not. But actually, that step for surgery is just a little bit too far. And so the more barriers we put in women's way to get the diagnosis they need to get the appropriate therapies, counselling, treatment, um, the more difficult it is for them. And I've only worked at UCLH where there is this fantastic um, ultrasound, dedicated ultrasound centre, but are there many other centres across the country that you're aware of? Um, So there are, I mean, as I say, I, 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 I worked with Davor, which is where I've trained. Davor has trained a number of people. So there are people who've been trained by Davor who've then gone on to other places as well. So I know that at Barnett, I know that Jackie, Jackie Ross at King's is doing um, ultrasound scanning. You've been trained yourself. So um, the difficulty is, I think, for people is that when they move into um, already established setups that don't, that aren't used to the same quality that aren't used to that high quality of ultrasound it's very difficult for that to um, take on or become involved in a service that's already likely to be heavily reliant on MRI I suspect I don't know I mean maybe that's something that you can um, answer more certainly I know that when I uh, uh, when I went to the Homerton I was able to have a bit of an impact on that but really MRI still was largely the default and, and, and it becomes difficult to overcome that you may not yeah. know how able you are to feel to answer that question, but it is difficult when you go into somewhere that has a very different setup that's been built up over many years to try and challenge or adapt or bring your skills into that. It is hard because often you know services are built over years, uh, and in fact, changes to those services require years, um, and so it it is hard to make a, a shift um, from a heavily established ultrasound service that normally goes from GP to ultrasound to um, gynecologist uh, and try and shift that to uh, the gynecologist providing 
the ultrasounds, you know, maybe cutting down the number of patients they see to be able to provide more accurate diagnostic services in the long term and, and, and reduce their, their weight or enable them to provide more more appropriate interventions is, is quite a big shift to make without testing it uh, from a service perspective. Yeah, and, and, and for us who work in a service with point-of-care ultrasound that's high quality, we can see how much it transforms care. Um, so for us, it seems so very obvious that the process for patients is much more streamlined. Um, I, I sort of, I'm not sure this is quite the analogy, but I, I suspect BSGE-trained people who look at people performing open hysterectomies when they could be performing uh, laparoscopic hysterectomies is, is probably similar to the way those of us who have access to high-quality ultrasound look at those who are still using standard ultrasound and, and managing their services within that. And within that, there's the inherent, well, I've got a scan, but I can't really rule out endometriosis. I can't really be certain endometriosis isn't there, so I still need to do an MRI. I still need to do an operation as well. And just, just to be clear, I should probably clarify, when I talk about the standard standard ultrasound and high-quality ultrasound, these things are actually defined. So this current, I would, I would say that the current standard standard ultrasound in this country broadly means looking at the uterus and looking at the ovaries, which means that if you don't have ovarian endometriosis, then you're unlikely to diagnose endometriosis at all. So if we talk about superficial endometriosis, deep infiltrating endometriosis and ovarian endometriosis, only those patients with ovarian endometriosis, which is roughly 25% of the women um, who have significant endometriosis in this country will get a diagnosis of standard ultrasound. Whereas ISWOG defined high quality ultrasound, International Society of Ultrasound, Obstetrics and Gynecology, you've got trained experts doing these scans regularly who are looking at the uterus, the ovaries, they're assessing mobility, they're looking at the uterosacral ligaments, they're looking at the bladder, they're assessing the ureters, the kidneys, the rectovaginal septum, the bowel, and the vagina. And at the end of that, if they see deep, if there is deep infiltrating endometriosis there, they are likely to see it. If there isn't, you can pretty safely say there isn't deep infiltrating endometriosis. And sometimes, actually, we, we say we can't see superficial endometriosis. Actually, sometimes you can see superficial endometriosis as well. So we certainly can't exclude endometriosis. So any woman I'm scanning, I will always say beforehand, there's no woman in the world I can scan and say you definitely don't have endometriosis. But I can reasonably confidently say she doesn't have ovarian endometriosis and she doesn't have deep infiltrating endometriosis. That's really important to note, isn't it, when you're planning your, your services. But you need that skill. You know, you, There's no... Um, way around um, designing your service if you don't have someone with that skill set and um, enabling your your skills to be transferred to others takes time um, and you know analogy that I often give is you know like the R number of COVID um, if it's super high it will spread super quickly and uh, if it's super low it will go uh, very very slowly uh, and the R number with you know ultrasound skill uh, I fear is very low um, and it will take time for for a large proportion of our country or, or worldwide to have the skills that are required to diagnose. Anyway, you think that's absolutely shaming I think um, that, that's a really depressing state of affairs so part of the issue is in terms of where we need to get to is we are so far behind where we should be because trainees just don't have um, access um, or, or it's not or, or they're not required to have they're not required to access transvaginal scanning 
and which means that when you then start to say, look, this is the place we want to get to where there's access to high quality ultrasound across the board, you then end up with a situation where there's just odd pockets here or there. And the people that whom you're wanting to bring up to that level are not through fault of their own, but are lagging so far behind. So I, I don't know how many of you on the BSG will know Matt Leonardi, but he is also a, he's both a, a trained endometriosis surgeon and he is trained in ultrasound, having learnt in um, Sydney with George Condus. And UCLA. Um, and he was talking at Iswag, yeah. um, and he was saying, someone asked him the question, which I will now ask you, you, Martin, how long does it take to be able to do these scans? And he said, in his experience, six. he thought about six weeks. Everybody's different, of course. But of course, I suspect that in Australia, they already have a base level of ultrasound that the trainees will already have. And on top of that, that's talking about six weeks of doing nothing but endometriosis scanning in an endometriosis clinic. Now, you're never going to be able to have that in our current training system unless you take time out, and, and that's fine. But, but, but without bringing up the whole baseline of everyone, the idea... I mean, if I ask you, Martin, what was your level of scanning before you started subspect training and how long did it take you before you felt comfortable to do that level of scanning? So I'd say my level was probably uh, intermediate in that I'd done a, uh, a fertility job where I was doing baseline scans, assessing the uterus, assessing the endometrium and assessing the ovaries. But beyond that, you know, evaluating the bladder, evaluating the mobility of the ovaries, evaluating the ureters, evaluating, evaluating the pouch of Douglas and, and you know, rectovaginal nodules, you know, I didn't have a clue. Um, and it took me a good amount of time because I was only doing, you know, half a session a week. No, one session a week um, at UCH during my, my specialist training for endometriosis um, over the course of two years. And I think it was probably about 18 months in that I started feeling a bit more comfortable yeah so you can you can i mean that perfectly illustrates that, that, that i mean you know matt, matt was asking a very specific answering a very specific question from a specific place but six weeks is is not where uk trainees would be and, and by your own admission having done a research job you were already quite significantly above standard already mm. um so I, I think we've got we've got a long way to go and i think it has to be our cog has to take some responsibility in this um, because they're, of course, in charge of training. But I think where BSGE has a role is, is, is if one looks at how expertly the BSGE has transformed surgery for endometriosis after the over the last few decades, um, or not just endometriosis, look at how they've transformed people performing laparoscopic hysterectomies compared to abdominal hysterectomies, to use what I was talking about before, um, it's as a it's as an organisation, it's been excellent in doing that. I think part of the problem is that the the BSG is a collection of surgeons, and in the same way that if you ask someone with a hammer how to put them in a nail, they're going to say using a hammer. If you ask surgeons how to deal with a problem, then they're going to view it from a surgical perspective. But I think you cannot the, the advances in 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 surgical treatment of endometriosis just haven't been matched by the diagnostics, despite the diagnostics been there having been there actually all along. Um, so the BSG might well turn around to the likes of myself and say, well, actually, you need to bring up your game. Um, but actually, I think the BSG would very much help its patients substantially, both the currently undiagnosed and the currently diagnosed patients with endometriosis, um, if they could use their influence, their network that they already have, um, by bringing up the standard of, of diagnostics. And I think 
part of that would be through the through the process of the endometriosis centres. If you say you could almost, I mean, you could almost have a system where you have a BSG plus centre. So you have the centres that all have the surgical excellence to enable to call themselves endometriosis centres, but then you could have other ones that say, look, we, we're not just excellent surgically, we are expert at diagnosing endometriosis. We have high quality ultrasound, that means from the get-go, patients who come into our hospital or region will be scanned and will be streamlined into the endometriosis centre so that you, you're, you're breaking down a substantial part of that, what already is a long journey for patients to get reach their diagnosis and, more importantly, treatment. And removing the, the requirement for an MRI to tell you whether it's a rectovaginal nodule or a bowel nodule that's you know got muscularis invasion, you know, completely changes your surgical approach as well. So um, it, it has huge benefits, not just in the diagnosis, but in the kind of description of the disease to enable the most appropriate surgical technique to be uh, to be offered to uh, the correct patient, you know. A rectal shave is appropriate for most patients uh, with with rectovaginal disease, but you know it's not it's not appropriate for for all patients. And being able to distinguish that with ultrasound will be you know, a complete game changer. Um, without for patients not needing to require MRI, the wait for MRI, the cost for MRI, um, and then the cost of of the person's time to interpret it and discuss it in an MDT, perhaps. Um, but but you know I I fully support that the BSG. Um, and its and its role to get behind um, uh, ultrasound services um, and you know I, I'd recommend to anyone that has the opportunity to see how it's run um, at UCLH um, to to come along once you know doors open to visitors uh, post COVID because it is a, a fantastic centre. Well, I was just going to say you mentioned MRI, but I think part of the problem in 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 gynaecology is that we have outsourced for so long all of our imaging. An MRI, people still hold that MRI is superior imaging to ultrasound. If there's any doubt on an ultrasound, well, we'll just get an MRI. But I'm I've, up on my desktop, in, right in front of me, I've got systematic review, meta-analyses, all of which are saying that trans, high-quality transvaginal ultrasound is absolutely as accurate as MRI um, in, in, in terms of diagnosing rectosigmoid endometriosis or deep infiltrating endometriosis and the same applies to, to cancer services. So actually this of course is, we're talking about this in the context of endometriosis but by improving the quality of ultrasound across the board we would improve the care for so many aspects of our gynaecological patients. Um, but I think we need to lose this belief that radiologists sitting in a room looking at an image created by somebody else is somehow better than something we could do ourselves. That we have the skill set, we know the pelvic, we know the pelvis, we know pelvic anatomy. We there is no person better placed to image to look for endometriosis than someone like yourself who is, is also an endometriosis surgeon. That marriage of, of ultrasound and and surgery that you have, that Tom Holland has, that Matt Leonardi has, Gerhard List, it, it's it's a skill set that's um, fantastic because you you know what you're you know what you're going to see before you go in um, and you don't need MRI to do that you don't need the weight you don't need the money to be spent so yes I, I think we need to lose this idea that MRI is superior it isn't no I, I completely agree but but I think putting those that systematic review into context that the studies that that show that ultrasound is highly accurate are those small minority number of centers that have expert gynecologists or sonologists that are that are scanning to diagnose it and it is more heavily reliant on a large number of people with skills um 
than MRI, where you could potentially have a queue of patients turning up, getting their MRI um, any time of any day, go through a machine and then have a person, you know, different parts of the world reporting it. So there are some, you know, service um, implications that put ultrasound in a slightly more detrimental position to MRI. Yeah, sure, but it's it, it's cheaper. First of all, I would say these patients are having ultrasound anyway. True. So there's not one there's not one patient in or, or there's not one, but there's very very few patients in gynaecology that you're going to be subjecting to an MRI without having subjected them to an ultrasound first. So why not just make that test better and save yourself the bother? So you're not saving money because they're still having the ultrasound. Second of all, you know, no, everyone in the NHS knows we're living in a um, a under pressure, under resourced. So everyone having MRIs. There was one study by again, sorry, I'm, I'm repeatedly quote, quoting Matt Leonardi, but he published a study in BJOG a couple of years ago that suggested a saving of half a million pounds for every thousand women attending gynaecology clinic for the investigation of pelvic pain if they had high quality ultrasound. Now that's just in one that's just in one centre. Imagine that replicated across the NHS. Notwithstanding the fact you then have patients having access to um, you then have the savings for patients who get their diagnosis sooner, are able to work more. Uh, you know, it, it affects their lives less. It's it's it's. You're right that MRI is uh, currently has advantages, but those advantages are because of the system um, that has been created around MRI. I don't think I don't think those are based on the merits of each um, modality. No, I agree, and and I would love to see more people. Um, trained with a high level of skill to be able to diagnose endometriosis sooner because as we both know i think there's an average waiting time of about eight years before most people are diagnosed and during those eight years most people have have you know been told by doctors or told by healthcare professionals that you know that there's nothing that they can see wrong with them based on normal imaging um, and that puts both the you know a physical pressure on people with the pain that they're suffering as well as a psychological pressure um, and you are an outspoken endometriosis advocate you know I follow you on Twitter small plug there Joel um, for anyone that wants to follow him please do um, Joel Naftalin <laughs> and a big part of your advocacy is helping people get this diagnosis um, that can be difficult to achieve without high quality ultrasound um, and thinking about how we can get to a place where there are enough people that are holding that ultrasound probe with skills to diagnose people um, and reduce that time to diagnosis um, is hard. Do you do you have any um, further ideas to that you'd you'd pitch if you had an elevator pitch with the president of the RCOG or the BSGE? What what would you say? Well, I mean, just to before going into that, just to bring it back to the patients, because part of the reason why I I, I first, uh, I was a Twitter voyeur at first, you just sit on the sidelines and watch what other people say, and it's a good way of, of seeing what's out there, the medical discussions, discussions on endometriosis and the like, but actually my, my, my medical tweet that got the biggest response thus far was I was so angry at this patient, not angry at the patient, I was angry for this patient who we saw, who'd who, who came to see us and she she'd pain and she'd been scanned endlessly she'd been seen by gynecologists endlessly with pain you know the classic example of that i've been seen for eight years and they do pointless um bimanual examinations that do nothing um and she'd had 
scans that hadn't picked any of it. But finally, we, we diagnosed bowel endometriosis, bladder endometriosis, kind of everywhere. And she just she she, she just cried. She was, I mean, the the, the, the and they almost is they almost cry with joy. It's the relief of a diagnosis. Um, and and it's it's when you see the the outpouring of emotion that comes, that all this stuff that's been pent up for being essentially gaslighted, for want of a better word, for for, for eight years nine years, 10 years being told, look, it's, it's, you know, it's just normal. Or when you see all these barriers, you see the impact that, that, that a quick diagnosis can make. So that's how I sort of got started becoming more of an, of an endometriosis um, advocate on Twitter. Um, look, I, I don't think there's a simple solution. I, 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 if it, complex problems rarely have simple solutions, but I think it has to be across the board. I don't think we, you know, we, we, we have a system whereby We've been ploughing a furrow, so to speak, um, or you have pockets, these silos doing it. And, but actually, you just end up with an inequitable service across the board with, with very variable care across the country, which isn't good. I think it has to, therefore, involve the BSG, as we sort of discussed earlier. The RCOG has to get involved. Look, we, we, we're not out there doing nothing. We're talking at the RCOG conferences every year. Everyone's interested in the endometriosis talk. Um, because people want to, people who scan know this is a limitation. Yeah. So you can see when you give the talks that the, the, the people who, who do the scans, they know what they can and can't do. They know what their limitations are. They know what the frustrations are. So as soon as the endometriosis talk comes on the RCOG, there's two courses every year on ultrasound, one on early pregnancy, one just on ultrasound. You can see that everyone's listening, writing notes because they want to get better at this. Um, and if I were, I'll just quote your your um, tweet from the 10th of December 2020. We need to normalise high quality gynaecological ultrasound. Um, and you know, I know you've applied for BSG Council before, and I believe you're hopeful to apply again and get on the council. You know, would ultrasound and improving high quality ultrasound be be one of your um, uh, focus points or or um, missions to achieve in your manifesto when you apply? Well, in a, in a similar way to uh, at first, I was in I was on Twitter, but I was mostly looking in from the sidelines. I think you can sort of probably say the same with the BSG. As I say, I've been a member for a, for almost a dec or decade. I've been to the odd meeting, but I've not been fully engaged. Um, and actually, I'm increasingly realising that you you can't bring about change from the sidelines. You have to be front and centre. You have to be in position that that can influence. And the BSG does lots of amazing stuff. I saw you and Justin Clark and you're trying to get thoracic endometriosis going. And again, that's a fantastic development. So you can see what the BSG is able to do when it puts its mind to something, focuses on something, sees where there's a deficit in care and says, look, let's let's go for this. Um, so I, when the opportunity next arises, I will, um, I will I'll keep applying to council um, because I, I because if I don't get involved and start trying to change this from within, then I'm actually doing a disservice to all the patients that we see and all the patients out there who don't have access to high quality ultrasound. They need they need advocates. They need advocates on the inside um, so we can try and change it. And and, and 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 you talked about an R number. That's a very nice analogy, actually. And the R number may, may be low, but it is still spreading. Okay. So you can see that the influence of... of um, People who can scan, they go to centres, they teach other people. Um, Suzanne Johnson's a good example of someone down in Southampton who's learned the skill and has then spread it on to her sonographers who all scan for 
um, endometriosis and she does teaching and learning so you can spread the word it's, it's slow but it does get out there and actually that's an important point to make just to say that it doesn't have to be it doctors are, are well positioned to do the scanning for deep infiltrate deep infiltrating endometriosis but it doesn't have to be it's a matter of just people being skilled enough and Suzanne Johnson trained sonographers we've got a sonographer Sarah Louise who I think taught you Martin yeah um, in part who's who's absolutely brilliant at diagnosing endometriosis on on scan so it's not about it's not about titles it's about just having the skill set but yes I, I i don't think there are any places up for council coming up this year but when the next available opportunity comes i will be putting my name putting my name in the hat again and to use a cricketing analogy you can't score any runs from the pavilion so um you'll be getting my vote vote joel um and i sincerely hope you'll be on um council um at the next possible opportunity um if we uh, move on to a few more light-hearted matters, um, you uh, are a massive fan of Leicester City, um, and I think uh, you know it'd be rude not not to touch upon the fact that Spurs are doing fantastically well this year, um, and Leicester aren't doing quite so well. Um, what, what what's going on there, Joel? Well, I, I think the problem is that your definition of fantastically well is is slightly skewed. If being chucked out of the lowest tier of European competition is considered doing very well. If once again bottling it in a semi-final um, is is doing incredibly well, then that's part of the problem at Spurs because they deem that to be success. Harry Kane, the arch flat track bully, once again not turning up in big games, um, <laughs> doing what he does best. Um, so you're uh, we're not doing council. well. That's you're, fine. You're great we, at deflecting got, the question. Um, current uh, FA Cup holders, uh, current Community Shield holders. Um, we're happy with our lot. We know where we've come from. We know where we are, and we'll be all right. Having followed Leicester City in League One, I know that these are the glory days, and that for some people, being mid-table in the Premier League is something to be ashamed of. Far from it for any self-respecting Leicester fan. That's uh, we're just enjoying it, enjoying the ride while it continues do enjoy the mid tables and and you know as spurs will finish above leicester i'm sure i'll finish above you in a in our fpl league so um uh, i'll look forward to that and, and having a, a a nice drink at the end of the season or, or maybe even at, at, at asm uh, which i hope has now just moved to april uh, and will you be attending the uh, bsg asm job yes <laughs> yeah i had literally just i put in my to-do list to book all the various um hotels and trains on the day that it was announced it was uh changed um so yes i will be relooking my diary but i'm very much looking forward to getting to birmingham um back to the midlands wonderful place and um yeah that should be good interested to hear what everyone has to say and get involved lovely well um joel i'd like to thank you for coming on and, and having a chat about um the importance of high quality ultrasound in gynecology in general but more specifically in, in the work in the realm of endometriosis reducing diagnosis uh, enabling services to function uh, more more appropriately and more efficiently um as well as um you know taking it uh, in your stride that, that myself and spurs will, will do better than you again this season um if you've got any closing remarks or any events coming up that you'd like to plug please please go ahead I think the obvious uh, forthcoming event is Leicester Spurs on Tuesday, <laughs> seeing as you've given it given it large. Um, no, not really. It's uh, just thanks for having me on. I look forward to seeing everyone at the um, at the uh, BSG ASM, and um, you'll you'll hear from us. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Cheers, Martin. Thanks. Thanks, Joel.